Hello and welcome to Deprogram Live. My name is Carrie Smith. This is a new channel. If you're watching this, uh, please hit subscribe if you haven't already done so. We do have now a Locals, which we're figuring out. We're going to be doing our uh, book club stuff there and a few other exclusive things. Uh, we also have a Patreon and a subscribe star if you want to support the show. I'm trying to get all the things up top that, that I forget. And uh, hit like if you like this video, please share it. I'm very excited about today. I'm hanging out with people who are going to be at the Better Discourse Conference coming up in April. Um, please welcome Brian Edward, who you may know from Myth Informed. Hi, Brian. How are you doing? And Nikki Klein, who you probably know from Battlestar Galactica. That's where I know you from originally. I forget that I know you from that now. <laughs> <laughs> no, I forget too. <laughs> yes, now I just, I know you from conversations online. But um, Nikki, you're going to be one of the panelists at the conference coming up in April. And if you guys are in the area, I've been to a few of these. I'm going to be moderating a couple panels. You can get tickets. There's a little scroll at the bottom here at the Better Discourse event. And I'm very excited because, Brian, you guys chose Texas again. So. <laughs> Texas is a good place. Um, you know, it, mainly what we're looking for is a place that is will hold, you know, it's got to have the right aesthetics, it's got to be the right price, but mainly they won't cancel you. That a theater that's actually going to stick by you. Um, we've had theaters in the past that they either don't want the political heat or they caved to the pressure. So it's been chaotic. Um, so we really like coming to Texas. We're hoping to get like a decent local audience. When you pick a, a, a bigger city, that would mm -hmm. be good. So, I, you know, Fargo in North Dakota probably is a good place not to get canceled, but not the easiest to travel to. Yeah. Have you had last time, because you've done it in Texas once before, did you get, was the theater being pressured? No, they, but they are starting to be slightly pressured this time. They weren't last time. We didn't have really any kind of deplatforming campaigns. So we had, in a, we've been doing like better discourse. We used to call it MythCon. Mm -hmm. This is kind of short for Myth Information Conference. So, but we changed the idea to better discourse. But in 2017 in Milwaukee, we had a major, uh, attempt like a, a massive deplatforming campaign that first it was aimed towards us then later to the theater all of the speakers it was chaotic in 2019 we had a massive one at in, in new jersey and we actually our event venue canceled 12 days before the event's supposed to go right when you have eighty thousand dollars in ticket sales and all these you know liabilities for venue that you owe and people that are like saying well i know the event the theater is announced, we're canceling the event, so what do I do? And you have to say, hang on, stick with us, we'll get another event or another venue, when you're not quite sure what that's going to be. Like at one point on the list of venues was a U-Haul storage center, which would have not been. Wow. <laughs> and well, then we ultimately, Jack Posovic came through for us and gave us a gave us a lead to a casino that um, he knew some of the management there. And then they were like, yeah, you can come. What are you guys doing at these conferences that causes the, cause I've been to a few now, Nikki's been to some, what, what's, what are you doing that's so controversial? God, I, I wish there was a good story there. I really do. Um, <laughs> nothing. So even in, in the, in the chaos, so I don't mean to sound like, you know, it, it almost sounds like that this is some underground MMA fight club or something, <laughs> but it's not it in, in Philadelphia, for example, it's when, not, when they did I'm... cancel. You just get this. I'm narrative. canceling. I'm canceling. I thought that's what I was signing oh up for. Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm that's sorry. why she's coming. 
Yeah. This happens to me all the time. I, um, yeah, I fall in love and they fall asleep. But what, what, I, what I was saying is in Philly, when they canceled, um, when the theater canceled, they basically bought the narrative that Antifa and like this, this, these kind of far left social justice people were saying. And this was led primarily through Antifa channels. And they just say, yeah, they're fascists, they're, they're white supremacists, they believe in all these things that they really don't. When we, when we had the second venue, when we got it, we said to all of our customers, no, we're not going to tell you where the venue is. We have one secured, but we're going to release it at eight in the morning and the doors would open at 1030. So people just kind of had to hang on. So at 802, wow. a person from Media Matters that had also bought a ticket released the venue. And sure enough, like calls came into the casino to cancel the event, even the day up. So they, it, they didn't cancel it, but they created enough consternation that somebody in the casino management called the cops because they, they perceived the threat. The, the police surrounded the casino and then a couple of detectives came inside to listen to kind of see what's going on. And they hung out for like four hours and they said that they're like, I love it. You know, this is a great event. But you know, so really it was just discussion between the right and the left, but there, there are people that are on the absolute extremes that do not want any discussion. I mean, what James yes. Lindsay is saying, we live in Herbert Marcuse's world, world, that extremism from the left must be tolerated, but even ideas from the right, no matter what they are, cannot be tolerated. So I think though, if you believe in that, then yeah, then if that's your religion, then you have to try to cancel this. Yeah. Which panel are you speaking on, Nikki? Uh, uh, do you, you want to answer She may not know the name. She knows the, <laughs> she knows the title, but... Um, or we, she knows the subject, but it's, can the three letter agencies be trusted? Oh, that is right. the name of, of the panel. Oh, so we don't can... need the panel. I'll just answer it right now. Okay. Go ahead. <laughs> no. <laughs> there. no we have to Are come you... up with a new panel name now. Are you going with yes? Is that your, uh, yeah. on the panel? <laughs> so, <laughs> she's there. And Nikki's there to present the mostly no three side. letters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. F-U-K. Um, yeah, those are the three letters. I mean, that there's a huge amount of FBI overreach. I, Destiny, or Stephen Bonnell, is going to kind of take the flip side of the agencies can be trusted more than not. Oh, isn't that interesting? Do you, are, does it seem well, that the left... that's an interesting question, though, more than not. Like, well, yeah, I mean, that's different it... than can we trust them? Sure, 100%. And but can what? you trust like anyone 100%? Like even mm -hmm. with like your your spouse, even in a good relationship. Mm -hmm. I mean, if, if there's some Dan Savage, I think said like if you had to sit down at the breakfast table and be completely truthful with your spouse and confess all the minor betrayals of the day before that no marriage would survive. Mm -hmm. Do you think that's true? I do. Because there's some things if you have a terrible thought of somebody like and then it vanishes why, why let them know especially if it was in a, your, a crazy moment right but that, i think that's a little bit different than an agency who has a very specific purpose for existence and can you trust them to do their job you know yeah. can you trust them to uphold the job that you know is is their reason for existing um is very different than can you trust them to tell the truth about you know thoughts they had about some other woman, you mm. know what I mean? Yeah. So I think that's the difference between trans full transparency and honesty and trusting them to 
you know, do, do what they say, do like really not to get into it too much here. Cause I know we have a mm. lot of uh, juicy topics to discuss, but um, oh shit. Now I, you forgot what I was going to say. Compare it to a politician, Nikki. Like, you're right. That's not... I get really, oh, sorry. Uh, like, I do too. I'll take it off. Like, yeah, Let's okay, take it off. <laughs> yeah. It's so, it's so funny. Well, um, we can I'll, actually. I'll, we'll come back to it. We'll come we, back to we it. Can start. Yeah. We can actually move in. Since you said we have something juicy to discuss, I do want to start <laughs> with Juicy Smollett. Yes. <laughs> Cole, can you put this clip up? I don't know if everyone's seen it. I didn't watch the whole uh, the trial or the the sentencing that happened with Jesse Smollett yesterday, but I did see this one clip going around, and I just love it. It's so, it's just funny to me. It's it's bad. I don't if if no one maybe maybe there's somebody watching who doesn't remember, but Jesse Smollett is the actor who was convicted of faking the hate crime in Chicago, where he said these white guys in MAGA hats uh, viciously attacked him and said, this is MAGA country and called him racial slurs and homophobic slurs. Turns out he hired two black guys to attack him and this was all a hoax. He, when he was on Robin Givens, I thought he did a really pretty good acting job, actually. He was crying, which I think a lot of narcissists and sociopaths have trouble faking emotion, but he faked mm -hmm. the emotion very well. But this one, this was not, I don't think this was good. Let's just play it in case people haven't seen it. Cole, can you, let's see if the sound comes through. No, I would just like to say to your honor that I am, uh, I am not suicidal. That's what I would like to say. I'm not suicidal, okay? I am not suicidal. I am innocent and I am not suicidal. If I did this, then it means that I stuck my fist in the fears of black Americans in this country for over 400 years and the fears of the LGBTQ community. Your Honor, I respect you and I respect the jury, but I did not do this and I am not suicidal. And if anything happens to me when I go in there, I did not do it to myself. And you must all know that. I respect you, Your Honor. I respect your decision. Jail time. I am not suicidal. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Thoughts? I watched the whole thing. So all of the sentencing to, to try to get clips to record that. Um, really, I just wanted to see what the sentence was. And it took a long time. I mean, there was a four hour lead up. And when they finally got to the sentencing phase, it, it was like 30 minutes of the judge kind of setting it up before they did it. It was like, the heck of a teaser trailer. Um, I didn't even know what he was talking about at first. And then I realized, oh my God, he's playing the victim saying, if I get killed in jail, it's your fault. Yeah. There it is. I, I, I didn't get it at first. I was like, well, I don't go need, get what he means. Yeah. I think, well, I'll, I'll just jump in on what my initial thoughts. I, I shared that clip. Thank you for recording that, Brian, and putting on your, your uh, channel. I shared that clip and I saw some people doing the predictable thing where they ask, they start, they start spinning off into questions about what does he mean? And does, does he know something about the Clintons or is he going to be, <laughs> and you know, and they're having these questions and I was like, no, the way I read this is this is a narcissist 
And he's just saying something to plant any kind of seed of doubt in your mind. So number one, I think he's referencing uh, Sandra Bland. Do you remember Sandra Bland? She she was the black woman who was pulled over for a traffic violation, and she got into an altercation with the police officer. She he told her to put out her cigarette, and she was, said no. And then they he didn't. She escalated. He didn't de-escalate. He ended up arresting her, and then she committed suicide in jail and they were all saying she didn't commit suicide somebody the cops must have killed her and so i think he's doing two things he's trying to make us think oh this poor man he he thinks the system is so racist that he thinks he's going to be killed in jail and this poor guy he really fears for his life in jail and so or if your mind goes to the Clinton stuff, and what does he know? Is he going to be Epstein? Either way, it's a win for him because now you're spending time thinking about him as a, vic a possible mm. victim and being afraid for his life. He's not afraid for his life. I don't really believe that. That's my take on it. But I know you probably have a different perspective or at least somewhat different perspective of just about the justice system in general, Nikki. But it's It's hard to tell what he believes because I think it's possible for someone to be so psychologically removed from reality that in their own mind, they are able to convince themselves of their beliefs. That doesn't mean it has any relationship or congruence with what is actually going on. But yeah, to me, it had everything to do with just peak narcissist behavior, not only not only setting up, oh, if something happens to him, but setting up that he's that important. Yes. That like, you know, that, sorry, I don't mean to laugh, but. No, but it's, I, like, it's, it's funny. I just, I, it's funny. And I just, like, I, I'd written what I considered a somewhat thoughtful thread uh, earlier before the sentencing happened about how, you know, like, let's not vilify him. Let's not make him a martyr. He did something stupid, you know, he and illegal, and he should be punished for that. You know, it's to me, it's sad. It's sad when someone commits a crime. It's sad, you know, when there are victims of crimes. It's sad when someone has to spend time in jail. But it's it's reality. And, and that's the world. I don't celebrate it. I don't laugh about it. But when I saw that performance, I couldn't, I was like, I, I just tweeted it and said, I have no words because if I said anything, I felt like I was going to have to eat everything. <laughs> like if I shared actually how I felt, um, uh, I would have had to eat all my earlier words. It was, it was just very, it was pretty shocking to me. And yeah, I noticed. But why, uh, the why lawyer, would you have had to eat your words? Because, because, um, my instinct is that a perspective I had is that he clearly is not getting enough reality. I don't know if it's the people around him. I don't know if it's that he's not getting mental health help, but my, I, I just don't want to, but part of me is like, you, you shouldn't be able to get away with that. Yeah. So I don't know the most, like, I'm not in a place where like my initial response is a compassionate, holistic response. It was more of like bullying thoughts that I'm sure a lot of people shared. And that's, that's why I was saying, like, I would have to eat my words if I actually was like, dude, what, what the fuck? Well, what if but you would I have think gotten 
how would you have felt if he would have gotten, say, like five years of probation and like a $300,000, some massive fine, but no jail time? Is that is that getting away with it? See, to me, it's it's not so much about the the sentence. Like I would have thought that everything he's been through would have taught him a lesson. Yeah. And the and that he would have some humility and have some like wow, I really need to reevaluate my life and you know what I've done. Like that's what I thought I would see. So the the complete that I saw the complete opposite was ex was very jarring. The problem is I don't think jail rehabilitates people and especially someone like him. Clearly he's using any punishment to further justify his victimhood. I think he needs yeah. psychiatric help. And yeah, I'm not but, saying he shouldn't be held accountable. I'm not saying that. I, I, I And the other thing that I think is just a little bit disgraceful is the people who are in prison for far longer sentences for doing far less. So I think that is problematic. But again, I don't think the answer is putting this, you know, kind of man who's delusional and sick, you know, in jail for more time. That's not going to help all the people who are serving sentences that are too long. I, I maybe my opinion is going to be you're just making me think about this, Nikki, but I I've had a lot of thoughts the past couple of years about personality disordered people and those way at the end of the spectrum, the ones I view as like predators and I do view him as a predator. I think he manipulates somebody who would go to such lengths to lie for his own gain, for what fame, attention, more money, power, whatever it is, but to, to, to weave such a terrible lie and to do exactly what he said I would have been guilty of doing, which is to put my fist in the, yeah. in the pain and experiences of gay people and LGBT people. He didn't care. He didn't care about using racial division and inflaming it. He didn't care about any of that. And, and I've, so I view him as a, a kind of predator, not a murderer kind of predator, but there's all kinds of predators. And I almost feel like some of the people that, I don't know if they can be re rehabilitated. <laughs> I'm sort of like, you know, you're a shark. Let's put you in a place where there's other sharks. And maybe that's not the compassionate view. But can I just read off this? One of the knitters shared this narcissist checklist. Um, can I read off some of these? Yeah. Okay. Two-faced, putting friends and family down behind their backs. We don't know if he's doing that, but that's just one on here. Tendency to blame their lack of success and failures on others. Acts different in public than in private, irresponsible and unreliable, arrogant, acts superior to people close to them, lives in a fantasy world, <laughs> which may include porn, flirting affairs, and dreams of unlimited success and fame, addicted to this fantasy-oriented behavior, will lie and distort facts and change events to suit their own agenda. Uh, there's a few others about being irresponsible with money, lack of sympathy for others, especially those they exploit. Exploit. He has no sympathy. He can't even own up to it when it's. It's like someone I saw, and maybe in your comments, Brian said something like, "You know, my child, you know, threw their their cupcake on the floor or something." I said, "Why did you do that?" And they pushed it with their toe, pushed it away, and said, "I didn't do it." 
And it's like right there. It just happened right in front of me. That's okay. exactly, it's like he's lying about something that's so blatantly obvious. And I think normal people look at that and we say- but The cupcake attacked them. It's, <laughs> yes. not even, it's not even that they didn't do it. It's that the cupcake, you know, became yes. alive and, and now is, is framing them. Yeah. Well, pre-sentencing, like the, for 30 minutes, the judge went on this kind of long diatribe of like the things that you've done. And he said, like, you, you got up in the stand and you perjured yourself over and over and over again. There's no contrition. And then he, he thought, he said, your name is, is now become an adverb for lying, that your name is synonymous with liars. Like when somebody does something crazy and lies about it, they've pulled a Jussie Smollett. He goes, I, I can't imagine anything worse. And this was all in there and yeah i think you're right if if he would own up to this it would uh, it would make things easier the fact that i mean he's just like oj oj's quote still looking for the killer yes well and it, it it's such an opportunity i mean if there were someone close to him who could help him see this he could actually be an icon of someone who speaks about the dangers of creating false accusations. He could be yeah. someone who takes it on and decides to fix this thing that he contributed to breaking and be a real example of strength and reformation. Mm -hmm. But he, yeah. whoever he's getting advice from, if he's taking any at all, I don't, I don't know. Probably is, not. I think very <laughs> misguided. I saw the lawyer, did you guys notice like the woman, I think the woman next to him was kind of like nudging his elbow. <laughs> and they just they just seemed like they were just like oh god like please just stop. well there were several people that like spoke and wrote letters like i think samuel l jackson did and there was other oh, wow. all these people really? in hollywood and star stuff they kind of gave their credentials and they were all from this hollywood class and would get you know, everyone's like ooh and eyeing and like so he's got a lot of connected friends and they were kind of asking for leniency and then he had a couple people come on to say if the, he's just gonna get probation, that will be like the probation sponsors or monitors, you know, do the community service work. And one of those people is from the Innocence Project. And like, so he's well-connected, but it seemed weird to me that this, you would potentially take the Innocence Project and in a weekend, its own credibility on, to take somebody who insists that they're innocent and they're not. You know, yeah. like if he, again, if to work with them, he needs to say, yeah, I screwed up. You know, I'm like the, the, I used to be a, you know, a, a terrorist recruiter or something, but now I'm on the other side. Like you admit what you were. He won't admit that he lied. Like, I, I can't believe the Innocence Project even considered him and they made it a, a long appeal for him. Or someone did, someone at the Innocence Project did. I think- I'm gonna have to read those. That's, that's- I don't think though that he, I think this is a fascinating story for people for a number of reasons. And one of the reasons it's fascinating to me is that we may have all met someone like this in our real life and, and struggle with understanding them. Like, because it's so, it's just such a jarring, like you said, Nikki, if he were to own up to what he did, that would at least be, but his, his personality doesn't work that way. There's something wrong with him to such a degree that it's like, you don't, you, there, there are some people I think who are narcissists who, who are also smart enough to know, when they need to put on the mask of contrition. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. So even yeah. if he were to act that out, I still wouldn't buy it. I almost prefer that he's just like, 
not even gonna try. <laughs> like he's just like just kicking no, and screaming. This didn't happen. Yeah. yeah. Right. Right. I, I find it. I don't know. I find it fascinating. And um, this leads into yes. one of the other things I want to talk about. It was one of your tweets about the. There's a new series out about Ava. What's her name? Anna Sororkin Anna. is the real name, and Anna Delvey is the name that she used. Okay. Cole, can you put this one up on the screen? So I haven't seen this series yet. I, have you been watching it? Or, I, I watched Nikki. it. Oh, okay. I did, yes. Yeah. yeah. Okay, I, so. I, I couldn't get through the first episode because I thought it was so bad, and my friend was like, just keep watching, just keep watching, and then I was hooked. So I finished it. I've got to get through. I started the first one and then same. I couldn't get through the first one, but I want to see it. And I've been watching other shows about similar. So you're, you're, you tweeted, is anyone else fascinated by the response to the Anna Delvey character and story? People are deeply seduced and inspired even by her level of confidence, no matter how fraudulent. I think it says a lot about what people are longing for internally and what is permissible in women. Can, can you talk about that a little bit? Definitely. I, I've been reflecting on this more and not, not as deeply as I'd, I'd like to continue to because, you know, there, I don't have necessarily like direct comparisons, but even, even Jesse Smollett, who, you know, lied and we know it, um, people have very, for the most part, I think, I mean, I know there are these few people who are, wrote letters or, or maybe like politicize it, but I think most people don't have a lot of sympathy for him based on how he's acting. But Anna Sorokin has come become this larger than life kind of icon. In the show, they call her a bad bitch, which is, it's like, and, and it's a positive thing. Yeah. It's a thing where you're just like, don't take shit from anyone. You are your own independent woman. And if you look at her um, Instagram, she has a major following. She's now in ICE detention, but she must have someone, uh, you know, using it. And she's done interviews even from detention. She's doing some sort of like collaborations with people. And all the comments are like, oh my God, I love you. You're amazing. You're iconic. You're, and it's, I've watched, um, it's, it's really difficult when you watch a fictionalized show of a real person because your brain naturally kind of like morphs the two things. There's the character and there's the real person. And in her case, there's who she actually is and then the character she portrayed to people that she then defrauded. Um, so there's, there's many layers to kind of sift through and try to understand what's going on. But what I find most fascinating is just... I think I definitely think there's a a white woman gets very different treatment than a man of of any color. If you look at Martin Shkreli, I think he had a similar kind of attitude where he was unapologetic and he denied um, certain accusations, which I you know I don't have any reason not to believe his denials. I don't know the details enough of his case. He did get convicted of securities fraud and he's in prison for seven years. People don't think he's iconic. He doesn't have a this whole following of people calling him a bad bitch. Like people think he's a little bitch. So I, I'm just, I'm very interested. And I think there's a, a generational thing too of people wanting to feel good about themselves. 
And like, even though she puts on this persona that's not necessarily backed by anything sincere, I think it's compelling to people. And I, I think that's sort of sad. Yeah. What did, now what did she do? And like, how is it different than, who's the woman um, from Theranos? Yes, Elizabeth yeah, Holmes. Elizabeth Holmes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, mm -hmm. like how is this, like, does she count as a con woman too? And like, can you I contrast so. those? Yeah, so I mean, the biggest distinction that I can see is her marketing. Like the way that she marketed herself and the way she was so um, charming and like unapologetic, like she never, I saw a 60 minutes interview she did and she, she was qu quite artful in how she would answer the questions and never, um, she wasn't like thrown off or she would never uh, agree to an assumption. You know, yeah. she would turn the question right around. It was, it was really interesting. Um, but I think she just has this whole larger than life persona. Elizabeth Holmes is a little like dead in the eyes. She has like her thing, but I don't know that she is. Um, and, and there might be the industries too. Like people love like fashion and art and like, New York City socialite is way more interesting than, uh, you know, what was it? Blood. The, yeah, like, blood. she was, <laughs> she was going to be, she was sort of propped up. So I did see, here's some similar ones right now. And I've noticed that there's a lot of series about these kind of carn artists. I watched the first three episodes. Someone in chat actually suggested that I watch uh, the one about Elizabeth Holmes and uh, it's called The Dropout. And, and then I also watched a documentary about her and they're both great. And then I, and then I saw the tender swindler, which is about a man who's sort of a con artist in a different way. And in his way, it's this romantic thing, but I think all three of these stories are similar. And I think we're fascinated by them and fascinated by Jesse Smollett because it's, it's trying to figure out that psychology of someone who can construct such a fake persona and then somehow still be captivating, as you said, even when they're found out and they're revealed to be a total fraud, they have fans. What is that about? <laughs> like, there's something going on there. And when you, your tweet, when you said it was something about her confidence, I don't know if there's a difference between the male and female con artists though, because may, maybe you're right. I'd have to think about it more, but, but but someone like Ted Bundy, he wasn't just a con artist. His mask allowed him to actually predate on people and kill people. And he had fans. He had women writing to him. And I, 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 there's something about that that just, it, it blows my mind. But he had charisma, right? So charisma mm -hmm. sucks you in no matter what. You know, it, so I don't know if this, I, I don't know who the, the woman that we're talking, I actually haven't, I wish I would have seen some of these interviews. I just want, does she have the femme fatale? Like people like a Bonnie and Clyde, like, you know, she's- Ava? Yeah. Anna. Uh, I don't know if it's quite a, li a little bit, like she definitely maintains a lot of mystery mm. in, in how she responds to things. Um, I, there's also a really interesting thing where I think it depends who the victims are too because in her case the victims were rich people 
who yeah. in the series are portrayed as not very likable. Oh, they, I think the creative of the series might have a prejudice against rich people, especially rich white people, um, because those characters were flawed. And, and there's, I think there's definitely a tendency to watch it and think like, oh, well, they deserve it. Or like, mm -hmm. they, sh they should have known better, or it's their own fault for believing her, not really putting the blame on her for lying but you know, kind of feeling like it's their own fault. There was a lot of that with the in the, the Tinder Swindler documentary. So this is a guy who pretended to be a billionaire and would meet women on Tinder. And he had a great mask. He had a great facade. And he would take these women on dates. He would f take a private plane and fly them to meet him. And they would meet at fancy hotel restaurants for the first date. And he would lay this whole trap where they would get into a real relationship with this guy, think of him as their boyfriend. Some of these women had, they had started, they were going to move in together or they were going to get married and they were making plans and they had been dating for months. At which point he would say, my parents diamond company, which he was pretending to be the son of this famous, uh, this diamond family that, that they were under attack. They had lots of political enemies and he couldn't get access to his money right now could they loan him? And so several of these women took out, these are just women with, they weren't rich, but one of them, one of the women ended up taking out a hundred thousand dollars in loans over time and just giving him more and more money. And he had pictures of himself in a, in an ambulance that he took from some encounter and he would send them to the different women at different times. Like this just happened, you know, my enemies are after me and they would give more money. And, and so what I saw in that case though, was there was that similar sort of reaction to the victims deserved it. Even when I talked mm. about it on a show recently, someone said to me, well, those women were just, they were just gold diggers. So, and you know, they got what was coming to them. So maybe, maybe you're right. So There's an interesting, yeah, I, yeah. I'd be very curious to understand like all the distinctions and obviously people have different reactions. It's not all one or the other, but that there is kind of a common thrust of how the mainstream response to these things is very interesting. Mm -hmm. Well, people can get away with stuff like just and not get caught. Isn't that like the catch me if you can, like the entire, you know, the 16 year old kid becomes this crazy, you know, like the, the best check writer, you know, fake check writer of all time. Like that, there is something amazing of being able to continue to get away with it. So mm -hmm. maybe it's just that living life in a completely different way. Yeah. I think that is part of it too. And the Elizabeth Holmes one, that's another one where, so I guess you could say some of her victims were average everyday people who were taking these tests, going to Walgreens and doing the, the blood tests and getting false results. So she did take advantage of average people, yeah. but all the people who gave her money, who the millions of dollars she raised that victim class, those were all wealthy elites. So maybe there's some of that similar, like, you know, she pulled but, off this con. Bernie well, Madoff wonder. doesn't get any sympathy though. Yeah. It's weird. No. So yeah, yeah there, there is a, there is a distinction. Well, and I Why, wonder if cool. Elizabeth Holmes had in, because she, she used the victim card. She blamed her 
partner, the guy that mm -hmm. she was ah. with romantically and who um, started the, the business, you know, she really said that she was like um, under his control and that and, and mm -hmm. played that card. And I wonder if she had gone the Anna Delvey route of really just kind of like owning it and but not admitting to anything if, if that if it would have played out differently um i don't know i well i, I find these know. thank you it's for really talking about my latest so yeah. i don't watch lately there's so much happening in the world with the russia and ukraine and i'm i can't make sense of uh, you know, speaking of who you trust, I don't know what to trust right now. So I've been delving back into true crime. <laughs> like, okay, let's go back to my primary fascination, right? Um, I want to show you one more clip in the media this week. Cole, this is link number six. And I didn't put this on the list I sent you guys, but I just wanted to play this clip because I think this is another kind of, it's different, but it's another kind of fantasy world. And and I, I just keep seeing more of this in, in popular culture of, of uh, these examples of people who are spinning some kind of fantasy and then also expecting the public, expecting us to get on board and go along with this. Um, this was Tess Holliday on the Tamron Hall show. Did you guys see this? Oh, I watched part of this. So I watched the first half. So before you hit play, Cole, this is the Tamron Hall show tweeted this out and they said, Tess Holliday shares how her anorexia diagnosis impacts her life and how she perseveres. How was it affecting your day-to-day, -day, both professionally and personally? Because you're dealing with this. It's not a secret. They notice it, but it's not diagnosed. And the problem is there, but it's not. It's not been named. It was extremely hard, but I had normalized it so much. I, I, you know, like you said earlier, when you have so many people saying things to you online, I'm tough as nails, but it gets to you. And you kind of, you, it, it's, I would be lying if I said that it, it didn't affect me. And so when I hear people saying, all you do is eat and you eat, it's like you almost believe it, even though I know I'm not. So it was extremely isolating. It was... Uh, lonely. And I will say that getting a diagnosis does feel wonderful, but it is extremely lonely. It's a, it's sometimes I really fight with the shame of it, which I think is the hardest part. Um, but how are you dealing with regaining your voice, your message and the intention of the, the message that you wanted on Instagram, which is this is my journey and I know I'm not alone. How are you resetting this for you and to help other people who want to hear it? I just take it day by day. Um, <laughs> like today, I tried to feed myself. Didn't do that great. And uh, like, like one of your guests said earlier, I just try to be gentle with myself. I try to remind myself that how I'm feeling if I'm having these bad feelings is temporary. And I also take... Oof, um, <laughs> um, I take immense pride in the fact that uh, 
I understand that I was given this platform originally for modeling. Not given, I busted my ass. Yeah. I don't know if I can say ass. I busted my butt <laughs> <laughs> to get here. But I, I feel immense gratitude and pride that I am able to sit here with you and talk about such hard things and know that there's somebody on the other side that feels less alone, that maybe says to themselves, I'm going to get help. Okay, you can stop help. it here. Uh, start speaking. <laughs> Yeah, it's a longer clip than I realized. But so this is Tess Holiday. She's the plus size uh, model talking about her anorexia. And I, I went to her social media pages, and, and this is what she's been posting about recently and sharing is about her struggle with anorexia. But I'm watching this, and I, I think everyone looking at this is sort of like that. Yes, you clearly have issues, but I don't, I don't know if that's what's going on. I was embarrassed for her. I, I, I cut it off at the, how do you do with this? And she's like, I take it day by day. I'm like, okay, this is, this is absurd. I, I can't watch any more of this. Yeah. Sorry. Oh, Nikki. What, what are uh, we doing as a society that this is a mainstream show? Like how, how is it that people's mental health struggles are being enabled like this? Like, I just, I think, yes, we can focus on her. And, and this was kind of, this was the point I tried to make before about Jesse Smollett is like looking at all of our participation, you know, like how yeah. everyone in the media and celebrities and even people within the justice system are enabling and encouraging. And then even before he did that, like, what are we teaching people and training them to think that, you know, if you just put up this victim card and the more boxes you check off, the more attention, the more fame, you know, the more accolades that you'll get, like that is, a, you know, that's permeates in our, in our culture. And so I think, yes, it's good to see it in, in these individuals, but I think what's almost more disturbing to me is everything around it that's supporting and further creating it. Yes. Like, I feel bad for her. I do too. It's I also expanding. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, go. you go ahead. It's the expanding of the victim box because this would be totally legitimate had she escaped like North Korea and um, like that, that 25 year old woman, I can't remember her name. I think his last name is Park, but she, she escaped North Korea. She actually had to, be forcibly work as a prostitute, like to get to Mongolia and get out. I mean, this is, this is brutal. I was a teenager. Like this is a, an actual victim. And then to have her say something like how, you know, do those memories still bug you and how do you get by? And then how she copes with it. This is something you can get behind, but they've expanded victim into places that doesn't belong. That's why it's. Absurd. Yeah. Yeah. I also, I think I, listening to you, Nikki, talk about how, like the role that everyone plays in this. I think even those of us, myself, fascinated by it and commenting on this, have a, we're, I'm playing a role in it. I know I am by paying attention to it. But at the same time, it's sort of like that, that car wreck phenomenon that happens where she, all these, all these different stories that become, you know, the things that get put on the mainstream news, the Smollett thing, this, they become that thing I can't look away from where I'm like, culture, something is wrong. Like something is going wrong with our culture. And this is a, this is one small story that 
I think just sort of illustrates that. And it's also, we're in this up is down, down is up world now. So at the same time this is happening, we're seeing, you know, International Women's Day just happened. And there's this inability on the part of politicians I saw in the UK can't even define the word woman anymore. Like, what does the word woman mean? They're like, I don't know. Pass. Well, let's pass, but let's <laughs> celebrate women, right? And then, and then to see someone who's struggling with obesity talk about their anorexia, it's just down is up, up is down. And, and I think, I think uh, my pastor talks a lot about how the way he views the culture world, culture war, is that it's just an outright assault on reality. It's almost like a perpetual gaslighting of, of the population at large about what's real and what's not. What do you yeah, think about the people that were clapping in the audience when she said that? Remember how she kind of stopped and they brought her back with the applause? What's in their head? I I mean, I was trying to understand what she was saying and she didn't really say anything of, of substance. I think a lot of people, I don't know who that, I've never heard of that show before, so I don't know who their demographic is, but the and I don't even remember the woman's name, but she was speaking about pain, taking it day by day. Obviously she has issues with eating. All those things are relatable. So like to see someone speaking and she's poised and presented as someone who's strong and working through these things, I don't even know if people are thinking critically in any objective term, I think it's purely emotional. Mm. And there's this person who's saying like, it's okay to struggle, it's okay to be overweight. And I'm like, Oh, I have struggles too. I, and so, yeah. Or it totally was just reasonable. a clapping yes. track. I don't know. Yeah. That's, that's probably right. Because yeah, then that, that makes sense. Now the people in the audience are probably normal people. They're not crazy. Yes. And so they're, they're identifying. And also people identify with the emotion. I mean, her, I believe her emotion is real about her struggles. And I think she mm -hmm. does struggle with her obesity and with people's reactions which, to yeah, that. Yeah, which is totally relatable. Yes. Like who hasn't struggled with yes. food? Um, so- well, And it, when you I, feel bad, you wanna make somebody feel better. If, like mm -hmm. if Nikki, you come and you say, I feel terrible today. Like I, mm -hmm. I'm gonna want to try to cheer you up. Right. Yeah. Yeah, and there's that too. So like I'm empathizing with someone in pain. I want them to feel supported. Unfortunately, I feel like empathy is exploited mm -hmm. so much so that we don't even have enough for the people who are actually suffering, who are not models, who don't get on these talk shows, who can't even talk about their pain because they're so traumatized. So it's it's a it's a big inversion and I think a distraction from actual problems. All the empathy goes to the one percent. Yeah. The 1 of <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's, that, that, that's the movement. That's the movement. That's true. We wow. <laughs> that's yeah. true. It's like the perpetual victim class. Yes. And then um, you get drained because it's like you've spent all your empathy, you know, on this obese person who says they're anorexic and it's also confusing. So you're also kind of exhausted from trying to make it make sense. So like, you know, these people dying in war. Well, you know, it's far away. I don't I don't know. I don't have time for that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I hope you don't. No one uses that clip as me actually saying that. <laughs> <laughs> Anytime you say anything online these days, it's like that's going to get clipped. <laughs> That's also, exactly. especially engaging in sarcasm sometimes, it's like, oh gosh, yeah. no, that's going to be taken, you know. Um, I did want to talk about 
there's one other thing that you tweeted, Brian, about COVID. I know, I know that we've the media has moved on to something new now, but uh, there was this New York Times piece. Uh, let's see, Cole, if you can put that on the screen. If not, I can. For some reason, it's letting me open it. So if you can't open it, I, I can. It's a piece in the New York Times that says, we will forget much of the pandemic. That's a good thing. Yeah. Can you tell us a little bit about this piece, Brian, or do you want me to read from so it? So the, I mean, what struck me, I was going to, I was going to, I wondered what I can give you my take on it, but what was, um, what was your thought? Did you read it? Yes. The, it, it seems to me that they're, they're, I, I predicted, I was thinking they were going to do this is I think they just kind of want to brush over everything that happened the past two years in terms of the government's response to COVID and say, like, I think in the future, people will look back, if, if they're successful, people will look back and say, oh, that was such a hard time. We made so many sacrifices, but it was worth it. And that's really, that's all they're going to say about it. And they want to forget all the things that we allowed, we allowed our government to do. What, what is your take? The forgiveness of it. Um, what I think of it, what struck me the most, they, they were talking about how, you know, the, the brain itself has inability to unlearn as well as learn. So they actually, they make some good points about like unlearning PTSD and not letting it control your life. And this is part of what like cognitive behavioral therapy does. So that thing, the actual real trauma doesn't become center. You can manage it. You don't have to forget it. It doesn't control you. So that part makes sense. But let, here's this quote for, um, that I just thought was prescient inside of it. Like, tell me what you think about this. They say the here with luck. Um, actually, I wrote it over here. Let me see. Um, okay. With luck in the months and years ahead, the threat of the virus will abate and we'll, we will be able to let go of the fear that for many of us has been a near constant companion over the last two years. With hope, the terrifying images of the pandemic ravages, the empty streets, the crowded hospitals, the funeral pyres, the freezer trucks will cease to loom large in the collective memory. To me, that is a direct admission that, wow, that that's what they wanted you to think. This is what a lot of people do think. This is where you get with fear porn. I mean, funeral pyres? Yeah. Like, so they, they even <laughs> have to go through, like, and remember, like the only one that even fits with me is like the empty streets. Yeah. Like, you did see that. Freezer trucks, we saw one hospital early in the pandemic that had a freezer truck. That's it. I have no idea what funeral pyres means. Yeah. Right? They crowded hospitals, like some hospitals, like they were going we're, nuts about the right showing pictures of empty hospitals. They were empty. So they're implanting memories that they yes. are the saying you, you should forget. Well, yeah, it, but I think they're also, for those that don't remember the ravages, like they're saying, okay, you know, here they are. This is, this is them saying, I think to the people, yeah, we stoked your fear like crazy, but now get better on that. Yeah. And now we can, you can focus it somewhere else, maybe the Ukraine or something. It's, it's so weird. I mean, to that, like, it really captures the, the a near constant companion. Like that yeah. wasn't, that wasn't me. And for many of us. It so is. That, that's, that's crazy. It's what you said, uh, Nikki. Yeah. Marby dog says the threat ended 18 months ago for 99.999% of Americans. 
Yeah, they are implanting memories that they want us to have about this time. And I think that if they are successful, yes, people will look back and say, it was awful, but, and that's why we had to make so many sacrifices. There were funeral pyres. There were freezer trucks. And that's- and notice, Yeah, and notice how the mistakes go one way in this. They don't say all of the, the, the loved one that you had to do their funeral over Zoom that you yeah. didn't get to hold your husband's hand as he died in the hospital because of restrictions. You, um, all of your friends lost their businesses. Things like this, like Your kids, the, your toddlers didn't learn to speak at the age they should have learned. Right, that, that you as a, you had to quit your job and, and, and stay home with the kids because you had no place other to take them because they mm -hmm. had to do remote schooling. It's really interesting how they, they even when they talk about your fears, that those are the ones they want you to think of. As a or, person, I don't think those touched most people. You got laid off because you wouldn't get the vaccine, even yeah. though you have a, a medical reason why your doctor told you not to get it. That, by the way, we might, this video might get taken down now just for me saying that. We did a round table once about that where we had people who had been impacted by some of the vaccine mandates and they were explaining the situation they were in at their jobs. And there was a woman uh, talking about that was the case for her husband. He had been told not to get it because of a blood clotting disorder he had. And it didn't matter. It's like, you know, and all those stories, they don't, they're not going to tell those stories. They're not going to yeah. put that in here. Remember that, you know? Yeah, who, it's weird. It who do you guys think is kind of controlling this? Like, I'm always curious at what level it gets kind of, you know, it, it filters down. If the people writing these things are just so in such an echo chamber that they genuinely believe it, or is there a more um, thoughtful manipulation or, a, a, you know, agenda, essentially, that then they're using tools like a guest essay in the New York Times to, to influence people? Not to get conspiracy theorists or anything, but I'm just curious what you guys think when you read stuff like that. To me, that, that seems manufactured. That, that seems, it, for, for a certain group of their readers that were getting, an, getting some self-identity of being following the rules, being paranoid about COVID, because the more paranoid you are, could be the more you care about others, that it's okay to let it go. Mm -hmm. I think that's, that's the message. And then this is just somebody's take on it. You probably could have done this a, a bunch of different ways. So yeah, that, that's manufactured, but it's it's weird. I, I I don't I don't know who's pulling the strings. I'd like to think there's a board queen, you know that, and she says I am the collector. Isn't it more in in a weird way, almost more comforting to believe that yeah. than to believe that it's just this like chaotic mess that people can't see through, and they're all contributing. Like, mm -hmm. yeah. In some but ways, that, it is. <laughs> <laughs> to me, that yeah. this is an obvious calm down about this. Like we don't think it it matters as much, and and they know they know their readership. Fox knows their readership. Yeah, I I think it's a little of both, and I do think you're right, Nikki. It's it's nice to be able to think there's some shadowy figures who are controlling everything, like like the the spread of bad ideology, bad policy, all of these manipulated fears, and I do think there are several actors involved, but I don't know how coordinated it is. I mean, even, you know, I've been following what the World Economic Forum was doing and talking about with the Great Reset and Klaus Schwab and everything, but I also, 
I hesitate like putting everything like there, there are some figures that become sort of boogeymen for those who are uh, people who question authority. And they sort of then start to refer to those boogeymen all the time, like, well, Klaus Schwab, Klaus Schwab, or George Soros, George Soros. And mm -hmm. it's like, it's not just, there's not just one guy. He, I don't want to fall into that trap of being like, it's, it's more comforting to think there's one bad guy. And if we, if that guy weren't pulling all these strings, this wouldn't be happening. But I think it's scarier to recognize that human nature, we still don't understand so much about how we operate in crowds and in mobs and yeah, as, as totally. uh, this whole uh, mass formation psychosis that, that people were talking about a couple months ago, this, the way that we get pulled into things, into tribes, into belief systems. Mm -hmm. And yeah. there's a theory um, I've talked about before. Uh, it's called, I think it's called riot theory. And it was this guy who was studying the way that riots operate. And he was, he basically said, there seems to be within a riot, you've got people with different thresholds. And so you've got maybe only one or two people with a threshold of zero who will be the first person to pick up a rock and throw it, right? But then you've got other people with a threshold of one, a few more people with a threshold of one. And if they see one person throwing a rock, they wouldn't be the first one to do it if no one's doing it. But if they see a person throwing a rock, then they're more likely to pick up a rock and throw it too. And then you've got the threshold of two people. There's more of those and threshold of three and there's more of those. And so you get to this point where everybody's threshold is being met and you've got a whole crowd rioting. And I think about that a lot with ideology, because do you think that that's sort of how people, you know, when it comes to the fear over the coof and accepting this narrative that there were freezer trucks and funeral pyres and all these, is it, is it a threshold that's being met for people where it's like, well, I know five people in my social circle who believe this or seem to believe it or everyone in my social circle believes this. So I guess I believe it too. I, I look at it this way, like for the people when they take the, um, the negative cost of the pandemic, right? If you're going to do quarantines and, and, kind of lockdown society. Okay, well, maybe maybe you might be able to slow down the spread of a virus for a little bit, but what are the trade-offs? And things like child abuse go up. Now that's a weird one because child abuse is not a good thing, right? Like people are not getting their cancer screened, but who is going to beat their kid? And the way I look at it is their mental stability. There's some people, again, with this high level, like your level eight maybe, but then there's some that are barely grounded and it only takes a little bit of destabilization for really bad things to happen. And then that, that ramps up. So to me, it may be just some people's mental states are just, they're, they're thin, they're fragile. You know, like just like a fragile organism that's not adapted to its environment well, and it doesn't take much of an insult to, to really kill it. And I don't know, I think that that's what's going on there. We gotta be really careful when you radically change society. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, I, I tend to agree. And I think that people, you know, it requires a certain level of trust to live in society, first of all, you know, like you mm -hmm. can't go around questioning everything, questioning whether your money will be worth anything, questioning whether someone's gonna, you know, stab you at every street corner. And I think, like you're saying, people have different thresholds. And a lot of people are in very comfortable bubbles where they need predictability and to feel like they're in control, that they can trust the government, the news, and that feels safe. So I think there's a, a deeper level of questioning that is very painful in the sense that 
it creates a lot of uncertainty, which is hard. Like we, I think as humans, we don't, we don't like the feeling of uncertainty, but if you really want to live in reality, back to, you know, the, the, the theme we started with, it requires a recognition that you can't just believe and depend on everything and, and everyone. But I think it depends if people have experienced more adversity in their life, I find them to be more open to, uh, you know, challenging narratives. Because they're they're not as afraid to go there. But people mm -hmm. who've been pampered and kind of spoiled or live comfortable lives, it's very scary to let go of that sense of predictability. And I think that has a lot to do with it too. What if if this is if this isn't true, if I question this one thing, it's never just about that one thing. It's like, what are all the other things then mm -hmm. I have to question? And I think that's very hard for most people who are in our current economy and society feel like they're just barely holding it together. Yeah. yeah. And if you're, if you're in that, the people that, that had a high degree of adversity, but never overcame it, I think that's your crowd that's spooked. And these are the ones that are, are more fragile because you're, you feel like you don't have control and it doesn't take much to upset that world. Yeah. And, and again, so this, these are your more marginalized groups anyways. So, clearly like these, the upset hurt them. It's not how it's not upsetting, um, you know, your celebrities that, that enjoyed their two weeks, not watching Netflix. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, um, I wanted to also hit one more clip this week and this might seem like we're changing topics, but I also think this is kind of related. This is a, the governor DeSantis clip, Cole. I think I saw this on your, feed brian okay um, oh yeah we're, that reporter this is I love yes this. yes i like this because we're living in this upside down world down is up up is down i think a lot of us feel like we're being gaslit by the mainstream media and i'm tired of seeing politicians who who are and celebrities and people who are either reinforcing the false narrative or don't know how to respond to it when it comes up. Right. They fall into these traps of, of somehow acknowledging part of the false narrative. And DeSantis, there's something, I don't know what it is about him, but he seems to just cut through it. He, he doesn't put up with any of it. And he also doesn't fall into, he doesn't fall into the trap of reinforcing their questions. You know, there's that example of the, what is it? The loaded question where it's like, when did you stop beating your wife? Yeah, and, that's perfect. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so this, uh, if you can pull this one up, Cole, this is a reporter who's talking about the new bill in Florida that is designed to offer more transparency to parents and also to prevent discussion of sexual orientation um, and gender identity from kindergarten through third grade. So listen to the way the, the reporter frames the question and how DeSantis handles it. Does it say that in the bill? Does it say that in the bill? I'm asking you to tell me what's in the bill because you are pushing false narratives. It doesn't matter what critics say. For who? For, for grades pre-K through three. So five-year-olds, six-year-olds, seven-year-olds. And um, the idea that you wouldn't be honest about that and tell people what it actually says 
It's why people don't trust people like you because you peddle false narratives. And so we disabuse you of those narratives. <laughs> and we're going to make sure that parents are able to send their kid to kindergarten without having some of this stuff injected into their school curriculum. I love that. Thank you. I think this is the more serious version of Trump saying fake news. Like it, 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 he's explaining exactly why that is like Trump's funnier. Like, you know, when he's telling, you know, Jim Acosta, he goes, you know, you, uh, you can run, uh, your, your failing company. I'll, I'll run the, I'll run the country. You know, that, that's hilarious. <laughs> that, that's wonderful slapstick, but it like, this is the serious version. And then I think that's what we need. Yeah. He's a nerdier. He's, <laughs> he's got like, he seems like he has a, the boldness of Trump, like the bravery. He kind of doesn't care what they think of him. Yeah. But he's the nerdier version. Like he yeah, can actually right. give this intellectual rebuttal. I like it. So, I get why people like Trump, but but I, I guess I like this kind of version of DeSantis better. And and Christina Pushaw, his his uh, his um, like campaign campaign manager or like the press secretary, I think she's saying yes. Look, this is an intent to be an anti grooming bill. This is the reason why we're doing this. These are not appropriate. I don't know why anyone hasn't made the analogy to why they're not teaching stuff about like gay sexuality to pre K through third grade is any different than appropriate times for violence. Mm -hmm. Would we talk about, you know, details of the Holocaust to a pre-K kid or like violent war? Or would you describe 9-11 to a four-year-old, how people were jumping out of buildings? Mm -hmm. I don't know if that's appropriate. Like why, why mm -hmm. isn't, I don't, I don't get why people are, are challenging the, the non-appropriateness to this. Now, what do you think? Like, why do you think they like, why do you think they do want it? Well, I think it's because common sense is just not all that common anymore. And it's, I mean, I, I haven't read the, the full bill. I'd be curious to, um, because I do think there's like, if you give people the ability to sue teachers, that sets a certain precedent. I don't agree with what, I don't agree with teaching children that by any stretch of the imagination, it's it's crazy to me that trusting that your child wouldn't learn that isn't assumed you know what i mean like that it, it's just to me we're not all on the same page once again about what reality is and what what gender is what sexual preference sexual preference relates to when you're having sex like which happens way later in life <laughs> or should happen way later in life like how are we not on the same page about that? And I think it's just the discussion to me is so much deeper. And unfortunately, we're just trying to solve these problems by creating more rules and regulations instead of looking at like, okay, wait a minute, what are, how, what are the premises that people are coming from that think that children should learn that? And maybe they should just start their own schools. Like maybe the, I don't know, I, I was, just thinking about it this morning, like the parents who want that, maybe they have different schools, but it, it definitely should be delineated. And you should, as a parent, I think, have a say in what your child learns. Should you be able to weaponize the justice system? That's a whole other can of worms, which I guess we'll see the effects of 
as a so result is that of part this of the bill. bill? I don't know that that you can like actually. I believe go in what introduce- I read that that parents can sue teachers who introduce any sort of um, kind of like gender ideology or sexual preference, which is tough. Like, what if a kid comes into the class and asks a question about something, and the the teacher has to maybe deal with it delicately? I mean. Yeah. Raising children is hard. Children are unpredictable. They're not, they don't have full cognition. Like, so I, to me, it just, it's, it's very complex. It's definitely not as yeah. simple as like, it's, you, but it's interesting that, they don't. like it, yeah. it has nothing to do with that. But they could attack it in as the, um, you know, sue your teacher bill. It's, it's kind of has that same sort of pejorative, but it's interesting that they've picked this angle. Yeah. The don't say gay angle. Yeah. Yeah. So they're all calling it that. There were there's several celebrities online, Mark Hamill, Pat Oswalt. Pat Oswalt blocked me because I asked him what I just asked what part of the bill do you have a problem with specifically? Because I'm curious if a lot of the, if any of these people who know they they know what their position is, but have you actually read it? If you're calling it the don't say gay bill, hmm. and I guess he couldn't explain what party has a problem with. So, uh, but, th- but that is that they're just putting out, that's the angle they're using, Brian, instead of the sue your teacher bill, they're calling it the, the don't say gay yeah. bill. Um, I think I, that- I've seen memes that says that um, Ron DeSantis doesn't want to teach the following letters to kindergartens, LGBTQIA. Like, you know. It's- well, and to me, yeah, <laughs> taking it to all these extremes, whichever side you're on, you lose credibility. And I think that's, that's the missed opportunity. Like we could have a, an intelligent conversations about these, these issues. And the reality is whether you like it or not, we're living in a world where there are enough people who believe gender, you know, have different perspectives on gender that at a certain point, you're going to have to understand that if you, you know, want to live in Cal and work That's in California or certain states. So it's like, that doesn't make it right or wrong. I'm not saying, you know, I'm not expressing my belief system on it, but I, I do think we need to be able to talk about these things without um, using whataboutism. Mm-hmm. Or, or ask the productive, I would have been interested to hear the answer to that question now that you've brought that up, Nikki, like, you know, what, why is the suing part necessary or like in what case? That, that could change my mind on something. And, and that's, it's, it would give me some information that I don't know. I think, I think I get caught up in this a lot too, of figuring out what I think about the government getting involved because it's the same thing with CRT. Oh, and I, I know you have one of your fans, Brian, wanted us to talk about CRT yeah. today. Um, <laughs> but I, th- with the, the anti-CRT bills, when yeah. I first heard about them, I was thinking, okay, yeah, we're just adding more regulations we're going to trip up people. It, how is this going to be used against the very people who are supporting it right now, you know, allowing them to, to restrict certain speech in the classroom. But then I read that the so-called anti CRT bill in Texas, in my state, and much like the, this Florida bill that they're calling the, uh, the don't say gay bill. I support it. I say, I see, I, I view it as it's, it's, there's this cultural, thing that's happening that's seeped into the government schools that's key, that's seeped into kindergarten through pre-k whether we're talking about critical race theory or about gender theory social justice has culturally moved into the mainstream and this 
some people feel like the best way to fight it is through laws and through legislation. And so I don't know any other way to approach it other than to look at each bill individually and see what I think about it. Because I do think there could be some that are overreaching and could be used the wrong way. Mm -hmm. The Texas one, I don't, I don't think it will be. It actually lays out, it actually adds different things to the curriculum about uh, black American history, native American history. It's like, please put these in your curriculum from now on, you know, it's expanding stuff about women's history and, um, it explicitly says you cannot teach that one race is morally superior. Yeah. Okay. I'm cool with that. <laughs> or one so, race is inherently privileged. Inherently like privileged. Yeah, I think that's the other two. Yeah. Um, that executive order that, that Trump passed, that got rescinded by Biden, like that was a good framework. It was relatively short, accessible. You could read it. And there was a specific section of it. There was only about a page long that talked about 11 different types of discrimination that you couldn't do. That's all. It doesn't even mention CRT um, in there. It says these. So if you're against one of those, then you would have, you could turn around and say, well, which one of these 11 do you do? What do you want to use as discriminant and why, why, why should right. this kind of discrimination be okay? Now you have to make the case for that. Hmm. So anything that like, that it, I think that's what you should make. They, instead of being positive, like you ought to do this, it should be, these are the things you can't do and they have to yeah. be specific discrimination. Yeah. Well, and I think it's important sometimes to zoom out a little bit and look at the fact, like regardless of what laws are passed or not, these children are going to be raised by the parents pushing or fighting against these things. And I feel like no matter what, perspective you take using children as weapons in political discourse is wrong. Mm. Like these kids then are feeling the hostility. They're feeling the hate or that like whether it's communicated directly or not. And again, like I just think we have to go like peel it back to what can we agree on? And I, I just yeah. think using our children in this way to to fight these culture wars is is not good like what no matter what you teach them about race or gender yeah. that is not good yeah do you guys mind pirate tomsky just messaged me and said i have to read some super chats so okay. <laughs> we just got monetized yesterday we didn't even know awesome. it and then so i'm gonna read this is not nice. a super chat but sarah higdon is here hi sarah she says it has the same restrictions for talking about straight sex that's true. You can't talk about any sexuality basically in Florida in the classroom, in a government school between kindergarten and third grade. Let's see. It's it's all it's the stork. Yeah. <laughs> stork. <laughs> the stork. <laughs> um, here's one. G Man gives us five dollars. Hi, G Man. He says Jesse will hang himself in jail, his final brave <laughs> act in support of social justice. Pelosi oh will thank him <laughs> for his sacrifice like she did Floyd. He will not, though. He won't. A narcissist would never know. He would never take his own life. I don't think Epstein She did. described him as a martyr. That I thought that, like, wildly unique. Because martyrs are, like, at least in the Catholic Church and those, they, that is a willing self-sacrifice that you mm -hmm. make. Yeah. Like, you know that, you know, whatever happens, happens. Like, George Floyd, something happened to him. Yeah. He didn't... He, he didn't right. martyr himself. It's, yes. 
So she screwed it all up. Yeah. Sean Frasick. Hello, Sean. 20 bucks. He says, what acting performance was worse? Jesse Smollett's ABC interview or his courtroom outburst? Oh, I mean, <laughs> I've never seen his show, so I don't, I don't remember with Gal King. I think it was on ABC. Was it oh, Gal King? Oh, oh I thought it was, was or I thought it, it was Robin Givens. Maybe yeah, I, yeah, oh. I can't remember. That one was better. That was objectively better. Nikki, as an actress, I want you, if you have time, go watch his performance. That one. Okay. When he was interviewed by about the attack and he was crying and he was describing He's and reliving the attack. Yeah. I thought he did a good job with that wow. one, actually, because he you had. You could no tell in in court that he was, in my opinion, unhinged. Like he he was saying he he was. I think, I think the idea of going to prison really scared him. He looked mm -hmm. like he was in fight or flight, mm -hmm. and he was just you know when you like he was just saying I'm not suicidal over and over in a way that that didn't make sense. So, you know. Yeah. He, for me, when he stood up and he said that part about putting his fist in the fear of black Americans and LGBT, I thought, oh gosh, he practiced this in front of the mirror and probably in his head right then. Yeah. The, the, the music was crescendoing like in the movie in his right. head, you know, like right. the natural music. Was yes. Oh, I didn't even understand it. He's saying, if I did this, I would be putting my, or, or Yeah. If I had it was done this, confusing that Meaning, I would have been like disgracing. Yes, okay. which is what you did. You did do oh. that. Yeah, See, but it's weird to use but... a negative. It's weird. Like it's. Yeah, it is. It's a very uh, unpersuasive. I See, I just like, took it. it were true. I, maybe this is biased, but I, I took it as like if I did this. It was to put the foot into the fears of like all this, like so. If I oh, did like it, it was for a good reason, like because oh, there oh. are a lot of hate crimes out there that don't get enough, and, and this is overcoming your fears. Like there, there are a lot of hoaxes out right. there, but mine was mine had purpose. Oh yeah, yeah I don't. Right. Right. That's not. Oh, that's not the way that's I read not it how at all. I took it, but yeah, I took it like was thinking. I took it like he was trying to put himself in the shoes of an innocent person who would be greatly offended that you would think that he would put yeah. his fist in the fear of mm. yeah. that's how, how would an innocent you guys person are react? You're probably right. They would, an innocent person would stand up and be the like, I would was never. Very confusing. <laughs> and I don't know if he even knew what he meant. I think he's just shitting his pants that he'd have to go to prison to be honest. Right before the sentence was delivered, he was asked if he wanted to say anything. It was the very last thing before the judge went into the sentence. And, and his lawyer said, no, we're not going to do that. And he goes, well, I need to hear from him. And he kind of mumbles a no nothing to say then he gets the sentence one minute later then he does the opera so it was interesting how on the record he didn't say anything it's so funny he was waiting he was waiting for the right well he the must right have moment he but no he didn't know he was he going to get probation yeah. yeah i think he thought at that point um you know that he was he was preparing himself to not go to jail and so i think that really shocked him yeah. And the judge for 30 minutes kind of went into this long thing of like, these are the things you're doing, but these are all the good things about you. And these are all the bad things. And so you really didn't know which way it was going to go. Wow. Maybe I should buyer. watch the whole thing. Yeah. I'll fight you naked. Thank you. Gives us two bucks and says, if he did it in summer, people would die in riots. I don't know what he means. Maybe the, maybe the suicide. Oh, meaning, okay. The, the I people think would was, go out and protest. It was in the, or, yeah. There was yeah. no riots because mm -hmm. this was in wintertime and mm -hmm. pretty cold winter. Hmm. 
Pirate Tomsky and the Raspberry Award for Overacting of the Year <laughs> goes to, to Jesse Smollett. Smollett. I know. Can I ask you, Nikki, tough. is it, as an actress, um, how do you get in that, how do you act emotion? Oh, wait, I'm going to read one more. And oh, we already did that one. How do you, how do you get in? Do you have to re recall like sad things that have happened to you to be in that moment? Well, there's, di there's different techniques and, and methods that, that people learn. Um, method acting, which is, I think what Jesse Smollett is uh, doing is you really like get into the character by like putting yourself in, you know, so if the, like, you know, the, the character you're playing is sleep deprived, like you literally don't sleep to, you know, if they're an insomnia, you, you get into character those ways. That's my approach is more what, what you're saying of like recalling similar, either similar situations or like tensions times in my life where I've, say, experience loss or, or deep sadness or things I'm really angry about and then kind of like overlay the situ the current, um, you know, the fictional situation with that emotion. So you kind of like link, link things that are meaningful to you mm -hmm. to um, the scene and, um, you know, understand like the, the layers and the motivation of the character and, and then you let it all go. Yeah. <laughs> That's what they say, right? Like <laughs> you get on stage and let it all go. So here's something interesting I was thinking about was with Smollett. And that's why I asked this. I saw this study. I think this was in, it was in the documentary about Elizabeth Holmes. They had a behavioral scientist and he, he talked about a study where um, they do a test where they give people a six sided die like in a game, they roll the die and, and you tell them before you roll, pick heads or tails and just, you don't have to tell me, please don't tell me, but decide if it's going to be heads or tails. And when the dice lands, you get as many dollars as shows on the die, but it could be, it's like, like, so let's say it lands with the one facing up and the six facing down. Okay. On the die. Then you tell me if you had picked the top or bottom. And so people will oh. cheat because they didn't have to tell you they up front. There's no accountability. Right. Right. There's no accountability. So if they see that, the, that let's say they say they pick the top and they roll it and it lands with the one on top and the six on the bottom, they'll say, mm -hmm. I picked the bottom, you know, mm -hmm. and then they get $6. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. So he said okay. when they do this test, they find that people get really lucky when it lands with the one six. They, they have a higher percentage of luck. When it lands on the oh, three, four side... They'll it's sometimes, not, yeah, the three, four uh, side, they'll cop to lying because it's not that much of a loss. They'll be like, oh, I didn't get that one. I got the three, right? Um, oh, but with the one six, so they're always insane. really lucky. But here's the interesting <laughs> part. They hook them up to lie detector tests. Mm -hmm. And the lie detector tests can tell when they're lying. Um, however, if they change the game and they say the money that you win is going to your favorite charity, pick, pick your favorite charity then people get even luckier and the lie detector test can't tell that they're lying anymore because they they're they're lying for good does this make sense they're like wow. they so if they have a good justification and it's yes. not self-serving yes oh, they wow. feel like yeah because now they don't have anxiety wow. they don't have anxiety around the lie 
So if the die comes up with one on top and they had picked top, but they decide to say, oh, I picked the bottom, $6 for my charity, hmm. the lie detector test goes flat. It can't tell that they're lying because they don't feel that anxiety around the lie. And all of this is to say, wow. maybe he's method acting and he's convinced wow. himself of the lie. Hmm. You know, right, that the so ends good. justify the yeah. means. That, yeah. that the cause that he's allegedly fighting for is so worthy that the means of getting there, whether it's honest or not, that's a really interesting oh, um, I'm kind of amazed study. Yeah, yeah. That that most people, I I didn't know this um, immediately. That the one and the six, like all the sides together, add to seven. Like I wouldn't have immediately known that oh. he is opposite the four and the five and the two and the one and the six. So you just told me. Yeah. Oh yeah. Okay. Great. You've got a math <laughs> brain. That. That's <laughs> not <laughs> I'm thinking about human behavior and evolution, and you're like, wait, the one. And the five and the two. And there's only six sides. It's actually not that hard. And I was just stupid. Oh, yeah. man. Yeah. Oh, hi. Adam Crickler's here. Hi, Adam. Hey. Uh, cool. I'm, I'm trying to keep up with the chat, guys. I'm not the best. I'll just do some final announcements. <laughs> Sarah says, I play craps. If it's your first time <laughs> nice. here, this is a new channel, so hit subscribe. Um, we do have a locals where we're going to be announcing a new book for book club. We have a subscribe star, Patreon, find us on social media. And the Better Discourse Conference is coming up in April with these two lovely folks. Brian Edward is one of the founders of Myth and Form Milwaukee, who's putting on the conference. And Nikki's gonna be on one of the panels. I'll be there moderating a couple. And then we have uh, Josh Slocum's gonna be there, Blair White, uh, Colin Wright. Who, who am I forgetting? Mike Harlow's hosting. So um, yeah, so we have Destiny or Stephen Bonnell, um, Nuance Bro, uh, Blair White, Colin Wright, Josh Slocum is going to be there, James Lindsay, uh, Sean Fitzgerald, uh, Ben Burgess, Lisa Reynolds, um, Andrew from uh, Don't Walk Run. Yes. That channel. Um, let's see, do I miss anybody? Libby Emmons. Libby Emmons. Yep. I'm here. I'm just kind of going from memory. Let me pull up the thing. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Lauren Southern, um, we just announced. Oh, so she's cool. coming. Um, Nikki, yep, Colin, Josh, John, yeah, Mike Harlow, Nuance Bro, um, Ben Burgess, Andrew. Oh, also Spectre, who is um, one of our lefties who's coming. And we still are going to grab some more lefties. So if you are Yay. on the left and oh. you do like doing this stuff, um, mention mention this mm -hmm. to us and we can put you on. Yeah, can can you say something about that just quickly? Because I know this comes up a lot is it's hard to get people on the left sometimes to go to this conference and, and what's the what's the goal of the conference the goal is to have that discussion i think the best example that we brought up today was what we don't want we we would like less of that reporter asking desantis you know this don't say gay and rather than like having to fight over what the narrative is is ask the question that nikki brought up like well do we need this you know i again i don't know the law but do we need this provision to sue teachers in there like why is that helpful could this potentially be bad that's a reasonable question to ask. And those are the things that I think we want left and right to ask each other. Like, don't you think, whether it's about pandemic management, don't you think that the cost of the lockdowns have these trade-offs? Like, mm -hmm. or on, the, on going in reverse, that don't you, 
you know, if we don't talk about sexuality at all, don't we, don't we risk, you know, increased bullying, you know, to ask that legitimately and why, like try to get at, again, I want to know why, why were the those real people questions. in the audience? Like, yeah, let, why were they sympathetic with that person? I mean, yeah. I would actually really like to ask somebody in the audience why, because you can actually get somewhere rather than saying, oh, those people are in a cult. Oh, they're, you know, they're these crazy social justice warriors to get at the real person. And in the same way, I want the left to be able to get at the right. So rather than, you know, conservatives being some, you know, demonized meme of an Antifa person that you actually normalize cross, cross the aisle friendships. And that improves understanding because there's, even with the crazy people, like 1% of what they say is right. And you want to be able to, to capture that. Well, and yeah. there's a reason why they think that, you know, yeah. like everyone is right down to their assumptions. I think understanding like, why do they believe what they believe? And maybe, it, you know, it has to do with their education, their upbringing, maybe a traumatic experience that contributed to like having a specific lens through which they see the world. And the more that we can seek to understand those things and maybe we disagree with their ultimate conclusion but we can at least yeah. have more humanity in having these conversations instead of just attacking each other yeah, yeah. and to pirate tomsky's super chat yes it will be live streamed um so we're going to put that up on myth informed mke our channel and then said there will probably be some other people streaming it as well that are in attendance so but it'll definitely be on myth informed mke's youtube channel destiny sure. who's an interesting dude. I would say he's kind of a leftist. His he always live streams it, and his chat is full yep. of knuckleheads. So you can right, if you watch it on different people's chats, you're going to get a different um, feel. So if see, I don't him, know. I don't know what's worse: being on the same panel as Destiny or having him do a continuous commentary about a panel I'm on. I'm not sure what right. one like scares it's the me more. The commentary is worse. So actually, on our, on our stream, right? You will just you will get the conference. It'll be on the stage. You could probably hear the audience, the background, but you're not going to hear somebody giving a play-by-play. -play. So Destiny brings his Yeti mic. It gives a play-by-play -play while everyone's debating. Constant. That's worse. I actually I moderated a panel with him last time, and it was great. That one went great. My other one was like went. No, they were screaming at each other. I didn't control them well. I'm going to get some advice from a school principal this time on how to better separate two people screaming. You got to have like but, time out. Yeah. And, you know. <laughs> but the Destiny one was great. And he was on yeah. a panel with Jack Posobiec. And I, I expected that one to be a lot of screaming. It wasn't. They kind of, they had a good mm -hmm. conversation. Yeah, that's so, very well. Yeah. Well, yeah, this um, commentary yeah. can, be, can be funny as well. But, but yeah, but that's the point is to is to gain some understanding like has there been something specifically that you've moved on you know i've been mostly right my whole life i i used to think <laughs> the iraq war narrative was like legit and i thought that was true up until i don't know a few years ago that it, it's been it's been pretty recent where i've had to like examine some of these things of why why would they have lied to us this badly you know i thought this is bad for the country but not everybody's looking out for the country yeah it's so, funny, Brian, when you said I've been mostly right my whole life, I didn't know you meant politically at first. No, yes, right. <laughs> right about everything. Right meaning, I should have said. <laughs> yes. But like, I bought it. So there, yeah. there were points where I, I wasn't engaging enough with the other side. I didn't even understand their arguments. Those arguments had already been made, but I didn't go seek them out. So Same. it's good for this. Ooh, it takes, it it takes effort. And yeah, that's, it yeah, is. I, I do want to say... Too. 
having having attended a couple of them now that you do really create an environment of camaraderie like it's kind of like summer camp for influencers you know in, yeah. in the political sphere and i i do find that it, even if there's tension on stage that off stage there's a lot of you know just like fun and support and getting yeah. to know each other so you do a great job in setting the tone that way you do Thanks. Yeah, yeah, and that fun. hanging out afterwards at dinner and stuff, that's cool. Yeah. Like, it is. And I was yeah. hanging out with a lot of the lefties that came there, and it was just interesting to get perspective. And like, it, I wasn't judged. It was, it was great. The, the people that are going to show up aren't going to be your radicals. They're going to be people that actually care. Mm -hmm. I mean, if they're, they're willing to pay $100 per ticket and show up, so then, mm -hmm. you know, that, that means something. Yeah, mm -hmm. it does. Well, thank you guys for hanging out today, talking about craziness in the news and i'm looking forward to seeing you in april if you guys are just watching this channel for the first time this is our live show that we do mondays and fridays hit subscribe uh check out the better discourse event and where can they find you before we go where can they find each of you online so people can find me on on twitter i also have a locals nikkikline.locals.com uh instagram i've actually just started making reels on instagram instead of mm -hmm. uh you can't beat them, join them. I'm like, it's a totally different uh, venue and I've been having fun with it. So yeah, on find me on all the on all the socials and please join my locals community. Cool. cool. And yeah, ours is uh, myth informed, like the word myth, the word informed, and then MKE, which is Milwaukee's airport code. So myth informed MKE, that's on Twitter, also on YouTube. And then the bitter discourse event, which is on the Chiron, that's if, if you've not gone to one of the conferences, that they're a lot of fun to go to. It's more than just sitting there. It, it's hard to describe. It's it's kind of a full experience. That's why we're calling it like some of our flyers call it the better discourse experience. It's if you've never gone, it's it's worth it's worth going. And it's in Texas. Come yeah, to Texas. Texas. Yay. Cool. Yay. Okay. Thank Can I you just guys. Make one last oh, yeah. little plug. Yeah. Um uh Sarah Higdon uh, messaged me while we were discussing the the Florida don't don't say gay, uh, Bill, and um, uh, sent a link of a video to it. Um, so I'm going to share that, uh, reshare it on Twitter because um, Sarah's like great. You know, Sarah knows a lot more about it than than I do because I haven't read it. So thanks for doing that research. Cool. Bye, guys. Bye, Sarah. Awesome. Thanks for coming. Thanks, everyone. Thanks for having me.